Hey, welcome again, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Glad to have you. Uh, if you are new or uh, a guest today, my name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and just glad that you guys are with us this morning. If you're watching online, whatever country, whatever state, whatever city you're in, glad that you're with us today. Hey, earlier this week, my wife Rika came to me, and she said, honey, we don't have any hot water. And uh, that was instantly like, oh, no, here we go. It's prob- probably the hot water heater. Now, the reason that's kind of a little bit of an issue for me is I, I am not the strongest at around-the-house stuff, all right? You, yeah, you put me in front of a person, you know, you want me to talk about something, hey, let, let's go. Um, you want me to fix something around the house? I tend to be better at breaking things around the house than fixing things around the house. And so I get a little intimidated as well as challenged, you know, it's kind of like, all right, here we go. So I'm like, I can do this, I can do this, all right? So went down to the hot water heater, because in my mind... You know, you just start to play out these little fantasies like, okay, I'm going to go down there. There's probably a gas leak. I'm going to go light this thing. I'm going to blow my face off. You know, that's kind of like, that's kind of like what's going on in my mind, you know. I'm a little bit nervous about gas, electricity, water. I, we, can, we can swing with that. But, and so I go down there. I'm like, all right, here we go. And open up the panel. Sure enough, the, the flame's out. So I'm so glad they put all the instructions on that, you know, hot water heater. So I just follow the instructions and push this and twist that and, you know, click this and click that. And poof, I get a little flame. And then I hear the glorious whooshing sound of the filament lighting, you know, for the hot water heater. And how do I know I was effective? The next morning we had hot water. Yeah, it was good. So I was uh, beating my chest. I am, man, I can do this, you know. Uh, it, it was good. Today, two football teams are going to square off head to head. The most effective team is going to be the one that wins. So whether it's lighting a hot water heater or, you know, playing football, that, 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 you know, you got to be effective to do, to, do, to do good. But those aren't the bigger issues in life. What about being effective at the more significant issues in life? How, about, how am I effective in my relationships? How do I know when I'm effective if I'm trying to be a good spouse, a good parent, a good friend, a good neighbor? How do I know if I'm effective in the work environment, in, in, in my neighborhood, um, how do I know if I'm effective? Can I be effective at growing spiritually? How can we as a church be effective? You know, thinking about this night to shine, which on that note, thank you. Thank you. I mean, there's an army of us, that, and, and there's an army of people coming from our community that are just making this event happen. So thank you for those of you who've been preparing and stepping up to serve and giving of your time and preparing for this phenomenal weekend we're going to have. We're so grateful for that. But here's the question. How do we know... If we're effective, we just throw a big party and then we're done and we clean up the mess and we're like, oh, I guess we, we threw a party in our community. How, how do we know if we're effective? How do we know with, with all the families coming that have, that have loved ones with disabilities and special needs and how do we know about all those caregivers that are going to be on site and how do we know about all those volunteers who don't even come to church here? Like, how do we know if this event's going to be effective? Well, we can think of a few things. We know we're effective. We know we're going to be effective if that night those families just feel like a million bucks. They just experience a unique love and care and encouragement that only the body of Jesus Christ can give. We know that will be effective if the people just feel loved and cared and encouraged. We know that will be effective if families who never considered going to church before because they never thought any church would want them or was capable of taking on their family would actually consider coming back and saying, let's try this church. Or another church even that's equipped for special needs. If any of those families have never stepped foot in a church and they step foot in this church or another church, um, that we're effective. 
We know we're going to be effective if any of those families or volunteers hear the gospel and give their lives to Jesus Christ. Like, that's how we know we're going to be effective. And that's what happens when the community, the God's empowered, lives out the way God intends them to live, is they're going to be effective. Because we're empowered to be effective. God's empowered us to be effective. And when we look in the book of Acts, we've been going through the series in the book of Acts, where we're looking at the early church, we're looking at the first church, the birth of the Christian church and the earliest followers of Jesus, and we're looking to see, are they effective? Were they effective? And if so, why and how? And so we can look with confidence at that church and go, they were effective. And we're going to look at five verses this morning, just five verses that really capture and summarize and give us a picture of uh, this effective, empowered community. So I want to invite you right now to open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47. 42 through 47. And if you've been in church for a while, you've probably seen this passage. This is, this is a, a phenomenal glimpse of the dynamics that were taking place in the early church. We need to remember that when we're studying the book of Acts, some of what we see is descriptive. It's just describing what was taking place in that time, in that era. Some of it's prescriptive. It's modeling for us. And it's, it's a picture of what we can have and what God has for us. And this passage here has a little bit of both, really. And so join me in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Here's what we find. And they, well, who's they? Let's back it up to verse 41. All these people that received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. So all these new believers, all these Christians, all these early disciples, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Let's talk to the Lord. God, we are so grateful that you have given us your word. We're so grateful you've given us living truth, that your word is living and active and it pierces our hearts, Lord. God, thank you that it's alive. It's not an ancient relic. It's not a dusty book, Lord, but you speak to us through your word and you instruct us through your word. And Lord, that's our prayer, that as we unfold the pages of your word today, Lord, that you would speak to us. God, stir what needs to be stirred in our hearts. Unplug our ears. (laughs) Lord, open our eyes. Lord, uh, remove walls and, and, and uh, other barriers that might be in our hearts or in our souls from being close to you or drawing close to you or living like you want us to live. So Holy Spirit, teach us, empower us today to be not just good students, but good applicants of your word. That's our desire as we come to the teaching of your word this morning in Jesus' name, and we all sit together. Amen. You know, as we look at this passage, we see that the early church although imperfect, was very effective. The Holy Spirit had empowered the early disciples to effectively glorify God, to um, get out the message and the love of Jesus Christ and bathe the world with that message that, that God loves humanity, that God made man, loves man, 
and that because of sin, there's a, there's a disruption in the relationship between God and man. They got the message of the cross, that, that God came down in flesh and died on the cross for the sins of mankind, that Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he was God and conquered death, conquered sin, that this is the message that they're getting out. They're talking about Jesus coming back. And so they were very effective at communicating the message and and demonstrating the love of Jesus. And people experienced the mighty move of God's power in their midst because all this was going on. And thousands and thousands of people were coming to Christ as Savior. This is a great picture of an empowered community, of an effective community. And the Holy Spirit empowered the people and they began to live in new ways. They started to take new action. They started to implement new practices. They started to form new habits as they became new in Christ. And those new habits came through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And as those new habits took root in their life, they started producing these results and they became effective for the Lord's work. That's the picture of what we see. And so uh, we've heard it said before that efficiency can be seen as doing things right. But effectiveness is seen as doing the right things. And so we see that the the early disciples, the early church was effective. They were doing the right things to make a difference in this world. It truly was an empowered community. So what were the right things that we saw the church doing in these verses? What can we learn about being an empowered community from the early church? When we look at these verses and start to unpack those a little bit, here's what we're going to find. Three discoveries, really, of what takes place in an empowered community. The first discovery is this. It grows spiritually. An empowered community will grow spiritually. Look at verse 42 again. And it says they devoted themselves. This wasn't, you know, accidental, haphazard, occasional. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. If you go down to verse 46, it gave a little, a, a little more elaboration of this rhythm in their life. And day by day, they were attending the temple together. So these people were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles' teaching? Because the apostles didn't have a nice little leather-bound Bible. They didn't have uh, any Bible software on their devices, you know? So what were they studying? What were they listening to? What were they teaching? Well, you can imagine, you know, what, what all that had taken place with the apostles and disciples, they for sure were teaching everything Jesus taught. Remember when Jesus said this? Remember when the Lord said this? Remember when the Lord did this? And they were unpacking all the things that Jesus had taught. They were unpacking all the things that Jesus had said. They were unpacking all the things that Jesus had did. And then I'm sure what was also taking place, because they were going to the temple, because you have to think about this, this community of believers has a Jewish background. And so the the Jewish faith, you know, the people of the Jewish faith are waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for God's anointed one to come and establish God's kingdom. Well, those people who realized that Jesus was the Messiah, you know, and believed and trusted in him, were now followers of Christ. But now there's this uh, this whole other surrounding community of Jewish people that do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but they're still all showing up at the synagogue together. And yet the new believers are followers of Christ, but they're still Jewish, They're still Jewish by heritage and by culture, and so they would go to the temple, and they would listen to the the teaching in the synagogue. They would go to the temple, and they would uh, listen, and they would share, 
And so you understand that they, they were now, in one sense, still participating on one level, but kind of infiltrating on another level with the gospel. And they couldn't just hijack the synagogue meetings and go, hey, um, I know you guys don't believe this, but you know, when Jesus was here, he talked about eating his body and drinking his blood, and uh, we're going to do that synagogue today. <laughs> that wouldn't go over very good, you know? And so they, they would participate in the, in the temple gatherings and listen and learn and then go back and they would participate in the Lord's Supper together, the breaking of bread. When, when you see that terminology of breaking of bread, it really has two references. Sometimes it's specific to the Lord's Supper where they remembered Christ through the, the breaking of the bread and the, and the pouring of the cup. Other times it means they were just having a meal together. But you can guarantee that when they started unpacking the synagogue teachings and the Old Testament teachings, they had access to the Old Testament scrolls. They understood Old Testament teaching. I'm just sure part of what the apostles were teaching is how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. And the Old Testament connected to Jesus. And so you can guarantee that in those teachings is not only did Jesus say this, but do you remember Isaiah when he said this? Remember when that happened to Jesus? That's fulfilled prophecy. And they were connecting things that were spoken that were going to happen hundreds of years before Jesus was even born and saying, but look how it was fulfilled in Christ. And so this empowered community was devoted, as they were growing spiritually, they were devoted to the teaching of Christ. Also it says they were devoted to prayers. Now I'm sure some of those prayers were personal in nature, some of those prayers were private in nature, but what we see when we study the church in, in the Bible is a lot of that prayer life was in community. You know, we've been taught prayers are a very personal and private thing. True, but that's not the exhaustive definition of prayer. There is power when, when people come together and pray together. And for some of you, uh, some of your spiritual growth will be praying out loud at some point, starting to, to learn how to, to agree with people verbally in, in a group context. That's a picture of the church in the Bible. It's not like, well, your prayer life's your prayer life. I don't want to know anything about it. You know, there, there, there's, there's the shared experience that you start to see. And they were devoted to prayer, whether that was personal or corporate. They were praying and they were attending temple. And we look at all of these things. You know, here at Cuyahoga Valley Church, we have these six characteristics called the fruit of new life. These are six characteristics that we believe will start to take place and root in, in the maturing believer in Christ and follower of Christ. And so if we were to put that lens over looking at this passage, what we're really seeing here is that if this early church was growing spiritually, they were growing and understanding themselves as beloved children of God, and they were growing as self-feeders, they started to identify God as their father and, and, and realizing that God's love was so great for them that he came to the cross and he, he rose from the grave through Christ. We, we, we see that now they started to say it's not about performance. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about laws. It's not about ritual. It's about relationship with God. Is that not still one of the greatest stumbling blocks that we still see in the religious thinking today? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm regularly having conversations with people who don't know Christ and people who still do know Christ, who are still getting stuck and hung up on performance, that, that I have to achieve this kind of level of cleanliness. I have to achieve this level of spirituality before God's going to take me in or I'm ready to make spiritual decisions, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus did it all. He takes you as you are. Believe in him, trust in him. Let him clean you up and just watch what he's going to do in you and through you. Amen? That's the gospel. And so these people were learning, I'm a beloved child of God. I'm not just a, the little person who's supposed to just follow these rules, and maybe if I do him well enough, then God will take me. No, God already demonstrated his love. He already demonstrated his commitment to us through the cross and through the resurrection. They started growing as self-feeders. Look, they didn't have someone waking them up and saying, all right, it's time to go to temple. All right, you know, I mean, you got to go do that breaking bread thing. 
Man, there was an eagerness. They were anxious to learn. They were devoted to the teaching. There was this insatiable appetite to learn and to grow and to understand and to apply and to live out. This was just coming from them. And they just were self-feeders. They took initiative for their spiritual growth. And so we started seeing this when we look at the life of the early church, and it started to form habits in their life, the right things, and they started doing these habits. And so as we look at our own lives, we try to extract what we can learn and observe from the passages and go, what habits are we forming in our lives that help us grow spiritually? What habits are helping you grow as a beloved child? What habits are helping you grow as a self-feeder? And of course, we know at the top of the list is to daily be in the Word and in prayer. And I know that the second I say that, some of us just tune out. If we've been in church a long time, like, oh yeah, of course, daily Word, daily prayer, yes, it's yes, blah, blah, blah. It's like, man, we don't realize the, the nourishment that's there for us in that. I mean, think about it. Some of us, um, we have no problem. No one has to sit down with you and say, hey, look, Tomorrow when you wake up, it's just going to be a good idea to get some food in your body. You might need to have something to eat. We, no one has to teach us that. No one has to encourage us like, hey, man, have you eaten this week? No, I haven't really been good at eating this week. It's been like four days. You know, I just, just kind of keep forgetting. I just I don't have time. I don't have time to eat. You know, it just hasn't been a priority. I've been busy. Work's been, work's been a lot. You know, my, my kid's this and, you know, my, my aunt fell into that. And, you know, I just, just haven't had a chance to eat. You know, we talk about, hey, man, have you been in the Word and prayer? Oh, well, you know, it's been hard. It's been hard, you know. Work's busy, and it's hard to get up early, and it's hard to do this, and hard to do that. And we, we come up with these excuses. Like, imagine if we did the same thing with our physical food that we do with our spiritual food, with our physical nourishment that we do with our spiritual nourishment. No, a lot of us are on autopilot, man. You wake up in zombie mode, and you're like, you're like zombie for the, for the uh, coffee pot, you know? Um, or you're going right to the pantry or to the fridge, you know, looking for something. You know, no one has to tell us. We know, we crave, we yearn. Lord, make that true in our hearts for spiritual nourishment, amen? That we would crave the Word. We'd crave prayer and the desire. So a habit that we need to really be fiercely about, I need to be fiercely about in my life, is in the Word and in prayer daily. And sometimes that looks like I memorize one verse. It doesn't mean you have to sit down and spend 60 minutes. I mean, that's great if you can do that. That's awesome if you can do that. But somewhere it feels like, hey, if you only spend five minutes in the Bible, that's not good enough. Hey, look, if I spend five minutes and learn something and apply it, that's going to do a lot more in my life than I read eight chapters and I don't remember jack about what I read. But I can walk around and go, well, eight chapters, I, read, I, I read eight chapters in the Bible today. Good. What do you remember? Uh, nothing. Look. Read a verse, memorize a verse, live one verse. That's going to bear fruit in our life. Daily in the Word, daily in prayer, conversation with God. We talk to the Lord. Man, whether we're driving or whether we get a chance just to sit down in a chair for 30 minutes or out in a metro park for 30 minutes and just put our Bible down, put all this stuff down and just say, God, I just want to talk to you. I'm just going to pour out everything that's in me and I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. And I need this, Lord, and I praise you and I glorify you and thank you for all you're doing. And we just talk to God and then we listen to God. We're good at talking. We're also good at listening. It's hard to identify the voice of God sometimes. You have to realize that he's not going to tell you to do anything outside of what he's going to tell you in Scripture. But just listening to the voice of God, where the voice of the Lord will nudge you and move you and direct you in your life. That's a habit that has to be in our life if we're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to grow as a beloved child, if we're going to grow as a self-eater. We have to have this habit in our life. So empowered people are effective people. And in order to be effective, we need to grow spiritually. In order to grow spiritually, we've got to be in the Word, and we've got to be in prayer daily. Amen? 
The second discovery we make about this empowered community is that an empowered community shares generously. Not only do they grow spiritually, but they share generously. Look at verse 45 with me, please. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In fact, if you look at verse 46, it talks about this dynamic that's taking place amongst the early church. It says they were doing all these things with generous hearts. This is one of those areas where we have to be careful about uh, descriptive and prescriptive theology because this is definitely describing what was happening in the early church. This is what was taking place among them. But that isn't prescribing that we're all supposed to do. If you were to try to uh, apply this literally and, and, and exhaustively, it's like we're all supposed to go home right now, sell our homes, sell our clothes, sell everything, and just start giving away. Now, would that be a bad thing? No. God can use that. God can glorify that. God would definitely stretch us. I think there's a pre prescriptive principle here. There's a prescriptive principle. We need to hold things loosely, amen? Like, do you have your stuff or does your stuff have you? <laughs> Right? So we got to hold our stuff loosely because it all is from God. all belongs to God. We just think we own it. <laughs> it's all the Lord's, right? And on top of that, I think another prescriptive, um, you know, uh, principle is just generosity. That, that we find ourselves being gracious to others and blessing others with what we have to offer. And so you look at this church, and, and they were definitely doing that. Now, we have to remember there's a larger narrative here. This is taking place in Jerusalem. Not everybody at this time in Jerusalem lived in Jerusalem. A lot of them were you know, uh, pilgrims that had, had come from another you know, country or from another region to come and worship. And they came to worship at Passover. They come to worship at, the, at Pentecost and these special Jewish festivals. And so all these Jews were gathered. Some lived in Jerusalem or by Jerusalem. Some didn't. And then when you go back to Acts chapter 2, you see what happens, right? Holy Spirit shows up, flips everything upside down, doesn't he? comes upon the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, fills the disciples, they start getting into the streets of Jerusalem, and they're speaking all the different languages of all the different regions, and everyone's like, what is going on? These guys are drunk, you know? No, they're not drunk, listen, they're speaking of my language, they're speaking of my language too, and they're glorifying God, and they're glorifying the mighty works of God, they got everybody's attention, and then Peter stands up with boldness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he preaches a sermon, and he gives the history of, of Christ and he's preaching to his Jewish brothers. And at the end, it says their hearts were cut. What must we do to be saved? Repent, be baptized, come to the Lord. And you see thousands come. Well, guess what? Some of those people that got saved that day, some of those people that received Christ that day, they weren't from Jerusalem. Have you ever been on a trip that ended up being longer than you thought? You ever been in an airport going, oh, I guess I'm going to be stuck here a day. <laughs> Didn't plan on an extra day. Or maybe you were on vacation and you thought, you know what? We got an extra day. We like the area. We can, we can probably book another night at a hotel. And you extend your stay. Well, that was going on part of this dynamic. You've got Jews from all over, and they're going, well, I was planning on leaving after this you know, worship, but uh, I just received Christ, and I'm really digging my new Christian brothers, and I think I'm going to stay for a little bit. And so there were no hotels or extended stay America you know, set up, so who's going to take them in? Maybe they were running short on supplies. They packed for five days. Now they're going to stay longer. What happens? That's part of the dynamic here. The believers are going, oh, we can take that on. We can take that. I got room in my place and stuff. You know what? I'm going to sell a few things and I'll get some more food and we can just make sure that everybody has enough. And, and all these believers in the area were just making room through blessing others through hospitality and generosity to make room. That was part of what was going on here. It's part of the greater narrative that was descriptive of this moment. But for us, man, we look at this. I'm going to tell you right now, when we see these passages, a lot of us are scared by them. 
We get scared by the passage in the Bible. So we're talking about selling stuff and giving stuff away. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that, that's, that's a little much. That's a little radical, you know? What does that say about our hearts? How are our hearts postured? How are our hearts positioned? I think that's the bigger issue for us because we're selfish by nature. And we see these habits forming in the lives of the new believers here. And if we were to put that fruit of new life lens over this moment in the early church, we're seeing that these early believers were growing as servants. They were learning to serve one another and investors. They were taking the things that God allowed them to have and they were using them for his kingdom and for his glory. And so when we look at that, we go, okay, well, how, how can I grow as an investor? How can I grow as a servant? Well, we have to learn to do what these guys are doing. They were blessing people. They were just blessing people and being generous. And we go, man, how, how, how can we bless people? Look, there's basically three ways that we can learn to bless people. One is through our words. We bless people through our words. All of us know what it's like to be on the end of someone being very negative and talking down to us. Well, you're just this and you're just that and you can't do this and you can't do that. You know what? God's called us to be people who use our words to bless others. Amen? Scripture tells us that we're to lift others up with our words. We're to encourage people with our words. To use words that are suitable to build up. And so sometimes the way we bless people is we find someone who's really bummed out and we just start to affirm them and we encourage them or we write notes to them and just, just love on them through our words and we bless them through our words and we're generous through kind words. Sometimes we bless people through our actions, just learning to serve them. There's things around their house that need to be done or things in their life that need to be done and we realize, I have the time for that. I've got the ability to do that. And so I'm going to step into this moment and just serve. I'm just going to, this is just an act of kindness and an act of love. Night to shine is like one big giant act of love to our community. It's a way we're going to serve our community, right? And then, of course, some of our ways that we bless is through physical means. We use our money. We use our food. We use our furniture. We use our cars. We use our homes just to, to bless people. You need a place to stay? Come stay with me. That person doesn't have food. I've got plenty of food. You know, I'll, I'll fill up a bag for people who, who are having a hard time right now. Like, that's how we bless others. This is, this is a habit that was forming in the life of the early church, and this is a habit that will help us. If you want to grow as a servant, you want to grow as uh, an investor, we've got to start learning how to bless other people with our words and our actions and our stuff and our money because we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that, and we've been empowered to be effective, to make a difference. And if we start blessing people, don't you know we're going to be effective? We're going to make a difference. The third discovery we see here about this empowered community is that it lives relationally. It lives relationally. Look at verse 42 with me. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And it says, and to the fellowship. The word there in the Greek is koinonia. It means a shared partnership, a sharing, participation. And the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Again, Lord's Supper sometimes, or just eating together others. Verse 44 is a powerful verse about their relational inner. Uh, interconnectedness. It says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And there was just this unity that despite all the diversity, all the different ethnic backgrounds, all the different socioeconomic backgrounds, gender backgrounds, you know, guys, girls, men, women, um, boys, girls, age demographic, everything, they were started coming together. And they had all things in common. And when you look at verse 46, gives another glimpse. This is day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were breaking bread together. And so there was this common love for Jesus. There was common conversion to Jesus. There was a common love for other people that was kicking in. There was a common love for one another. 
Some of you have experienced that where you've met someone who's a fellow Christian and you're on a plane or you're in another city and you realize you both love Jesus and you're like, wow, and you just start picking up like you left off some other time in your life and, and, and compare notes and share life stories. It's just a beautiful thing. This is that common love. And a big part of that is that they ate together. This hyper-hospitality kicked in. And they went back to their homes and they, they broke bread. And they, some of that bread was the Lord's Supper and some of it was just eating together. And so a huge part of, of learning to live relationally is just eating together. We know that when there's the presence of food, it fosters connection. You know, what is it about just if you're just hanging out in the kitchen when there's food at a gathering? Like later on today, hopefully all of you are either hosting or attending some sort of gathering with some neighbors or friends or coworkers for the Super Bowl. You know what? There's going to be a spread of food, right? And some of you are going to be sitting over like, you know, hot wings talking about life. Some of you are going to be chatting about shallow stuff that, you know, not necessarily, you know, greatly significant, but you're just connecting. And some of you might find yourselves going to deeper places and talking about big things. Food just has a way of connecting people and disarming us and lowering walls. So, man, if, if we're going to sit down with someone and have a coffee and a bagel or maybe a breakfast, lunch, or dinner, it's amazing how God can use that. We see that taking place here. It's a huge part of living relationally. And when you start to think about the fruit of what was happening there, if you look through the lens of the fruit of new life again, you see that these early believers were growing as disciples and they were growing as missionaries. Some of the people that they broke bread with believed in Jesus and they were discipling and growing together. Some of them didn't know Jesus. And so they got a chance to talk life and talk theology and talk spirituality and, and, and see how God was going to use that. This is a glorious habit of learning how to eat together. And so as you look at your life and you look at the habits in your life, what habits are you forming to learn how to live more relationally? How are, how are you um, finding unity despite the diversity in your life? When's the last time you've had someone of a different ethnicity in your home for a meal? You know, we, we, we've got uh, neighbors, we've got friends, we've got college students and people that come to Cleveland area um, that are from different countries it couldn't be any easier to find someone. We've got ministries that can connect us with folks that, that aren't from around here, don't think like us, believe like us, and you know what? They're just looking for a way to connect. We're spoon-fed opportunities, and we just neglect them. You know, when's the last time you've had someone different ethnicity? When's the last time you've had someone different socioeconomic status? When's the last time you took someone that was just down, um, having a hard time, and took them out to a meal or brought, brought them some groceries and just, just visited with them? Don't just, don't just give them stuff, but actually visited and heard about their life and heard about their story a little bit and started forming some unity with them? Are you meeting with other believers? Are you in a life group? Or are you letting Christ override your differences and you're finding your common grounds? And are you eating with other people? I, I guess if I were to, if I were to try to um, capture this visually, here's, 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 here's the way I would probably uh, break this down and try to capture it visually for us to try to understand what's taking place here. Um, you have people, that's wrong. Okay, that's wrong later. Um, they, they heard about Jesus. They heard the gospel. They heard about forgiveness of sins through the cross, through the resurrection. Um, they heard about that. And what happened at that point is then they believed in Jesus. You know, we all believe in something. Some of you believe in nothing. That's something. <laughs> um, but they believed that in the Lord. They believed in what they were hearing about scriptures. They believed in who Jesus was. They believed in what he did by the cross, the resurrection. So they believed. At the moment of belief, whoa, nice little trippy step there. Moment of belief, they were filled. Now I want to camp out here for a second because every time I use the word empowered, 
This is what I'm talking about. When I say an empowered community, an empowered person, we're not talking about, you know, tapping into your inner chi, your inner, you know, kung fu panda and trying to, you know, you know rise up and, you know, human power. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God, right? The Holy Spirit of God, at the moment of belief, comes to live in you. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, and you are filled by the Holy Spirit, and this is the empowering, right? The moment you are filled with the Holy Spirit through belief in Christ, you're empowered. We all have that if we're followers of Christ. And then because they were filled and empowered, uh, they started living um, new life in Christ, and they started having these new habits. And so um, because of those habits, they started seeing results. And this is where we talk about being effective, right? Was the early church effective? Was the early church effective? Yeah, absolutely it was. Look at verse 43, right? If you go to verse 43, was the early church effective? It says, an awe came upon every soul. That means the fear of God. People started fearing God, not fear as in terrified, but awe, respect. They started realizing this is no joke. God's real. My soul's real. This decision I have to make about Jesus is real. And the awe of God came upon them, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They started seeing God working mightily in them, through them, around them. If, if, if you don't have the fear of God in you, then, then there's something, something missing. If you don't see God's power working in you, through you, and around you, then something's missing. You're not being effective. You're not seeing the results. So then you have to ask yourself, am I living that new life? Because if you're a believer, you're empowered. But what's missing between being empowered and being effective? It's that new life habits. Okay? We also see in verse 47, the outcome of all this, people were praising God. The name of Jesus was lifted up, right? It says they had favor with all the people means that as people were looking at the lives of the early believers, they were like, wow, look at this community. Wow, what's going on here? This is amazing. And, and, and the Christians started having favor with others. If you're not finding yourself having favor with people because of your relationship with the Lord, then something's missing. You're not being effective. Some of you are going, well, time out, Chad. The, the, the Bible says that um, you know, we're going to be hated by, for his name's sake. Well, yes. There are always going to be those people who are adversarial and hostile to Jesus and to those who love Jesus. But there's a whole other side to that coin, which is there's a lot of people out there that don't know Jesus yet, that when they see Jesus in your life, they're going to want to know a little bit about Jesus. Amen? Because they see change, they see transformation, and they hear stuff that, that, that they're very interested in. I've got people I've been loving on for, for years, haven't even had a chance to share the gospel yet, that God's given me favor in their eyes. They're just helpful, they're kind, they're, why, what is that? It's, just, they, they, it's not me, it's Jesus in me. It's not you, it's Jesus in you. And so... Uh, you start to have favor with people, and it says right here in verse 47, and day by day, it was being added those who were being saved. People were coming to the Lord. You know, it's going to be tragic. It's going to be tragic. There are going to be people who've been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years that have never led one person to Jesus. And part of the mistake of that is we've allowed fears or wrong thinking to think, oh, I have to save somebody. Nope, you don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. It's all Jesus saving through you. And so if we're effective, it means that we're going to make an impact with the gospel in this world. And so you've got to be effective, these results, and we see that in our life. But how do they get from being empowered to being effective? Right here. They had this new life which started forming these habits in their life. What habits are in your life? Because here's the thing. 
We all have habits. But do we have the right ones? We all have habits, but do we have the best ones? So if you're going to live new life in Christ and you're going to form new habits to grow as a beloved child, to grow as a self-feeder, to grow as an investor, to grow as a servant, to grow as a discipler, to grow as a missionary, what habits need to be, do you need to break and what habits do you need to make? <laughs> I've got three for you in application of today. When we look at the life of this early church and if we want to start to see that type of dynamic take place in our community, that we are an empowered community because empowered people are effective people, here's what we're going to see. A, we're going to see that we're daily in the Word and prayer. One habit I'm going to continue challenging you guys to, be daily in the Word and prayer. Fight for it. I have to fight for it. You have to fight for it. It's our spiritual nourishment. We, we are not going to be effective. We're not going to live out the empowerment God has for us if we neglect our spiritual nourishment of being in the Bible and just talking with God. Then we've got a Bible reading plan we put out every year. I'm so, I'm so encouraged. So many of you have given the feedback about this year's Bible reading plan. It's just really hitting you. One chapter a day in the New Testament. One piece of Old Testament reading on Saturdays, Sundays. Take your pick of what you want. You know, we're getting some here. And, and it's just, man, follow along. Listen, learn, journal, and, and see what, God's gonna, what is God going to teach me? What is God going to reveal in me? What is God going to show me? Be daily in the, in the word and prayer, and you'll grow as a beloved child. You'll grow as a self-feeder. And a great question to ask yourself at the end of the week is, did I spend daily time in the word and prayer? A great question to ask each other when we meet together and gather together, say, how was your time in the Word this week? You know, did, you get a, did you get enough time in the Word and prayer? Yeah, man, God taught me something this week. Here's what He showed me about myself. And, and, and talk about that. First habit, make sure that we're daily in the Word and prayer. Second habit, bless two people a week. And when I say bless two people a week, I want to elaborate. One person is a fellow believer in Christ inside the faith. One person is not a believer in Christ and is outside the faith. So with your words, notes, letters, with your actions of serving and loving, with your physical gifts, what physical needs you see around you, if you just live where you're blessing two people a week, you're going to make a huge impact. The third, and on that one, by the way, that's a great question to ask yourself. Who have I blessed this week? When you get together with other Christians, hey, who would you have a chance to bless this week? And, and share stories about just the, the opportunities to bless other people. God's called us to be a blessing to the people around us. Let's bless them. The third is eat with two people. Eat with two people. One person being a fellow believer inside the faith. One person being an unbeliever outside the faith. And some of you are already trying to figure out how to cheat, right? Okay, let's see. If I take someone to lunch and I buy their lunch and I encourage them with my words and I tell them a Bible verse and I open in prayer for the food, I'm done. Check, check, check. No, I'll break these apart. One's for you on an internal level. Just go, just be looking for opportunities to bless people. And then on top of that, try to, try to get together with one believer and just have a bagel and coffee, you know, or just something, just to eat and connect. Another, find someone who doesn't know the Lord and just, you know, go sit down over a cup of coffee or invite them over for dinner and just, just bless them, but, but just have that relational connect. I had a person afterwards, she came up to me, she goes, that's a pretty tall order. Because that's a pretty tall order. And I'm going, I know. But I'm going, they did it every day. We're actually lowering the bar. 
right? These guys do this stuff every day. We're going, hey, can you just do it two out of seven? <laughs> you just do, can you just do it? And here's the thing. It's not about perfection. It's not about, you know, nailing it. But I tell you what, if we did this 60% of the time successfully, we're going to make a bigger impact. We're going to be more effective, aren't we? Absolutely. And so how can God use you? How can you use these habits in your life to be more effective? So this is the habit challenge I'm putting out. Daily in the Word and Prayer. Man, weekly try to um, just bless two people somehow and try to dine with two people somehow. And God will help you be more effective. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible glimpse of the early church. Thank you for the challenge that we're given when we look at their lives. And Lord, we see thousands of people coming to Jesus. Lord, we'd love at the end of our time on earth to look back at being part of an empowered community that saw thousands of people come to Jesus. Lord, help us shake loose from sleep, spiritual slumber. Help us shake loose from just a selfish mindset that church is about us. Help us, help us have better eyes to see better obedience to see the opportunities around us every day to bless and to encourage others, Lord. God, I pray that you help us form these habits in our life. God, help us to be daily in your word and prayer. God, help us to be uh, regularly blessing people on a regular basis. Lord, help us to sit down and enjoy fellowship and company and missional meals where we get to just love on people over something edible or a beverage. God, we know that, that this is challenging on one hand, but so simple on another. So God, take this in our lives and use it for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen.